Well, we have, uh, we've been celebrating the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, and to help us do that, we, uh, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 1. I invite you to take uh, your copy of God's Word and turn there with me once again, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You know, quite often when we think about uh, the story of Christ's birth, we hear a lot about Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and the shepherds and angels. So someone that is often left out is, uh, is Joseph. Uh, we hear, hear very little about Joseph, and I, I suspect one of the reasons uh, for that is because Uh, as uh, we'll see here in this passage, but also throughout the entire New Testament, Joseph is silent. Uh, We don't have a single word recorded that was spoken by Joseph in the Bible. Nevertheless, this passage uh, before us today is told from uh, the perspective of Joseph, uh, Mary's betrothed. And uh, and so that's how we're going to approach uh, this passage today, looking at it from the point of view of uh, Joseph. Now, before I I read, would you uh, bow your head and your hearts with me in in prayer? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that the same Holy Spirit who inspired men of old to write these words down, it would be here today to write these truths upon all our hearts. We pray that the same Holy Spirit who rested upon our Lord Jesus Christ throughout his life and ministry would be here today at work taking these truths and planting them deep within our hearts. Holy Spirit, we, we pray that you would do that thing that you delight most to do, and that is to shine a spotlight on Jesus Christ. Bless to understand today who he is, but beyond mere understanding, we pray that we would go on to know him for ourselves. We ask all of this uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but it seems like sometimes uh, Christmas and crisis go uh, hand in hand. I wonder if you've ever experienced a Christmas crisis. Maybe, uh, maybe you've burnt uh, the dinner just before your extended family is scheduled to arrive for a meal. Or, or maybe you're on your way to a, a relative's house and you get caught in a blizzard. I remember as a young boy, uh, some years we would make the trek to my, my grandma's on my mom's side. And uh, she lived in uh, the mountains of West Virginia. And uh, it was, you know, country roads to get there. And it was always a question of whether we were going to arrive safely or not. But perhaps you've experienced a crisis in, in another form, more serious form. Perhaps the crisis of, of loss that brings heartache. Perhaps the crisis that comes from some kind of family feud. One way or another... I suspect that many of us here today have experienced a Christmas crisis. Um, and for whatever reason it might be, maybe, maybe because it's just this time of the year when we're told to be uh, happy and jolly, tis the season after all, or because we've cultivated entirely unrealistic expectations, but whatever the reason, it seems as though some of these crises are uh, especially painful this time of the year. Well, I say all of that because I want you to see that this passage before us begins with a real-life crisis. <laughs> you take a look at it with me for a moment, just at the beginning, you'll see it right away. Uh, Joseph is uh, betrothed to Mary. Now, betrothal means more than what we mean by uh, engagement. It's, it's more serious than that. In fact, to uh, break off a betrothal requires, as you see in this passage, the language of divorce. Uh, betrothal is really, uh, it's kind of like stage one in a two-stage marriage. Uh, Mary and Joseph are betrothed to one another, and everybody knows it, but this marriage has not yet been consummated. And, and it's in that stage that Joseph receives this news. It's in that stage that Joseph discovers that his wife-to-be, his beloved Mary, is pregnant. And it's, it's not his child. And jo Joseph decides, uh, after pondering these things, that there just isn't any way to, to proceed with the marriage. And so he decides to pursue uh, a divorce. We're told, however, that Joseph is a a just man, literally a righteous man. So instead of bringing some kind of public case against Mary, which he could have done, he opted to divorce her quietly. See, this is a, this is a real life crisis. It doesn't, it doesn't take much reading between the lines or behind the lines to see that this story at this point is, is full of heartache and heartbreak. You, you can imagine the emotions that are stirring within Joseph's heart at this point, feelings of anger and bitterness and betrayal leading to anger. 
And we don't blame Joseph at all at this point for the way that, that he's feeling. His betrothed, his wife-to-be, has been with another man. Or at least he understandably thinks so. And so Joseph here, he's in a heartbreaking, in the midst of a heartbreaking crisis. And, and, and just as an aside, I, I think there is an important lesson for us to take away from that. God is at work in Joseph's life. God's at work in Mary's life. But here, specifically with Joseph, God is turning Joseph's life upside down and inside out. Just think about what these events are going to mean for Joseph and his reputation going forward. What's the lesson there? I think the lesson is this, dear friends, that if God is at work in your life, don't assume that that always means that things are going to be comfortable and easy. God may very well be at work in your life, and it may result in your life like Joseph's being turned upside down and inside out. But of course, there's more to this story. Joseph isn't left in in this crisis. An angel of the Lord is sent to Joseph in a dream to calm his fears and comfort his heart. And so so, so what begins in, in a crisis uh, for Joseph, he, he ends up finding in the midst of these circumstances good news from what he thought only held out pain and heartbreak for him. And we see Joseph's fears are stilled, his heart is comforted by the angel here in, in at least four ways. And I want to suggest to you uh, today that we can find comfort for our hearts in these same four ways today. So first of all, the angel tells Joseph about the the origins of Jesus. He tells him about the the prophecy of Jesus, the identity of Jesus, and the mission of Jesus. So that's our outline. That's where we're headed today. The origins of Jesus, uh, the prophecy of Jesus, the identity of Jesus, and the mission of Jesus. And so first of all, uh, the origins of Jesus. Again, we we wouldn't fault Joseph for reaching the conclusion that he did. Uh, With the information that he had, his wife-to-be was with child, and Joseph knew it wasn't his. So he thinks Mary has been unfaithful, that she's been with another man, and and he just can't see how this marriage can move forward, how things can be worked out. And so, on the grounds of infidelity, Joseph determines to pursue a divorce quietly. But then, look at verse 20. Uh, as he considered these things, that is, as he's making these plans uh, to break things off, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And you see, with those words, Joseph's fears begin to vanish. Mary has not been unfaithful, and instead of something terrible happening, actually something wonderful is taking place. God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit has been at work in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So the the origins of Jesus as as a man are grounded in the supernatural and sovereign work of God the Holy Spirit. You know, we sometimes speak of the virgin birth, but really there's no such thing as the virgin birth. Well, for sure, 
Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus, as we're told in this passage. But, but the miracle is not the birth. I mean, the birth was entirely ordinary. Mary gave birth to Jesus just as any other woman would give birth to a child. The miracle is the conception of Jesus. We might more accurately, accurately call it a, the virginal conception. That's when the miracle occurred. And because of this miracle, Jesus, well, Joseph uh, need not uh, hesitate to take Mary as, as his wife. But what I want you to notice here, did, did you notice the way Matthew emphasizes for us the role of the Holy Spirit here? He tells us twice, just to make it clear in verse 18 and verse 20, that this child that is to be born is of Mary and simultaneously from the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I have no doubt uh, that if you were to have seen Jesus you know, playing on the street as a boy, which he did, he was a boy, he played sinlessly, he played fairly for sure, but he played. I have no doubt that if you'd seen him, you may have very well said, he, he looks just like his mom. Because Jesus was born of Mary. He is from Mary and at the same time from the Holy Spirit. That same spirit who, who hovered over the waters of creation in the very beginning. Hovered over the womb of the virgin. And brought forth this creation. This new creation. This new beginning in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is actually a theme though. The, the, the mysterious Miraculous work of the Holy Spirit is a theme we will find emphasized again and again and again throughout the life and the ministry of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, if you read the Gospels carefully, is the constant companion of our Lord Jesus Christ. At every point in his life, the Holy Spirit is, is there at work from, from womb to tomb. And then from his resurrection to ascension to his current session at the right hand of God the Father, the Holy Spirit penetrates and suffuses the, the, the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, for example, we're told here he was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We're told later by Luke he, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. How? By the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Spirit in his baptism as he began his, his public earthly ministry. And then what immediately occurred after that, he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to face the temptations of the evil one to, in order, unlike the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, to resist the temptations of Satan and overcome Satan and drive back the forces of evil. We're told again and again in the Gospels that, that the miracles that Jesus performed and the knowledge that Jesus had came through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're told that Jesus offered himself up as a sacrifice upon the cross by the Holy Spirit. We're told that he was raised, he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And more than that, after his resurrection, what did Jesus do? He, he breathed upon his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And after his ascension at Pentecost, the risen, exalted Christ poured out his spirit upon the church and sends them forth into the nations to proclaim the gospel. 
And my friends, it's the same spirit that abided upon our Lord Jesus Christ that enables us to know Jesus for ourselves. It's the same Holy Spirit who who takes sinners and brings them to the Savior. You know, why why is it that we can so easily miss the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Because the Holy Spirit is not directing our attention to himself. The Holy Spirit is constantly directing our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first word of comfort Joseph received, it's it's all about the origins of Jesus' uh, coming. And it highlights for us the fundamental role of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus. The child that Mary carries is from the Holy Spirit. And it is by this very same Spirit, dear friends, that we can come to know Jesus Christ. And so first, the, the origins of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit, And then secondly, I want you to notice the prophecy of Jesus. You know, usually when somebody says to you, if you're like me at least, don't worry, I have a plan. It has the opposite effect, doesn't it? It actually causes you to worry. Um, I guess that depends upon who is speaking. If it's God himself or an angel of the Lord speaking on behalf of God, well, that should bring us enormous relief and comfort in the midst of our troubles. And that's exactly what's going on here. Joseph is told, in effect, don't worry, Joseph. Everything here is happening exactly according to plan. You see, in verse 23, the supernatural conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary is grounded in Old Testament prophecy. It's grounded in the prophetic word of the Old Testament. The virginal conception is in fulfillment of a promise that God had made through the prophet Isaiah. It's happening according to plan. If you take a look at verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now we're going to Consider some of the details of that verse in just a moment. But first, I want you to see the use that Matthew makes of that quotation from Isaiah chapter 7. A prophecy about a child born to a virgin who would be called Emmanuel. Actually, in the Gospel of Matthew, this is the first of nine fulfillment passages that Matthew gives us. Nine times Jesus is expressly said to do something in order to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets of the Old Testament. And and the point, I, I want you to understand, the point each and every time at the most basic level is the same. And the point is this, Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. Jesus is the one that the prophets spoke about. Jesus is the one sent by God and everything is happening, happening exactly according to the divine plan. You know, maybe, maybe you're here today, Maybe you're here today and you you wonder if this message about a virgin conception and uh, Jesus is is even possible. I mean, it just sounds so improbable. Virgin conception, that sounds crazy. Maybe maybe you have other doubts about other claims of the Christian faith. If that's you... well, can I, I, I want to ask you to do something today. Can I ask you to do something? Maybe, maybe you're here today and uh, maybe you come to church all the time because your family brings you here. 
but you have, you have lingering questions about the Christian faith, or maybe you're here today just because it's Christmas time and your family uh, dragged you here, and uh, you, know, you, you too have questions about the Christian faith. Can I ask you to simply do this? Actually search for answers to those questions. Why not begin by taking the Gospel of Matthew and begin reading through it and, and write your questions down. And there are, I can tell you, there are many, many people here today who would love, love to talk to you about Jesus. I'd be happy to do that. Let me suggest one more thing too. As you read through Matthew, be on the lookout for how Matthew wants you to see that Jesus fulfills all of the ancient promises and prophecies of the Old Testament. He fulfills the plan, Matthew is saying, because he's the one that you and I all really need, whether we know it or not. And so Matthew wants to make it clear that the Bible tells a astoundingly, remarkably unified story. And it's all unified and tied together in the person and work of, of Jesus. There's a single storyline. Come back tonight and you'll, you'll hear that, that unity of the storyline running throughout Scripture focused on the coming of the one who would be born of Mary. And in the birth of Jesus, we are meant to see God was keeping his promises and everything in the fullness of time was happening according to plan. But then thirdly, I want you to see as well the identity of Jesus. Look again with me at the quotation from Isaiah in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew adds uh, this editorial comment to make it clear. Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want you to just think about the details of that verse with me for a moment. The child that Isaiah spoke about is truly human. He's born of a woman. He's a son, but he's, he's much more than merely a man. Isaiah says he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. I asked this question last week, but let me ask it again. What is the incarnation really about? What are we celebrating? We're not merely celebrating the birth of a little baby or some sentimental version of the Christian story. No, what we are celebrating and rejoicing in is the incredible news that God himself has condescended and come down in human flesh. That God himself has taken upon human vesture in order to dwell among us. We are celebrating that today and every day we gather together to worship the Lord because this is who Jesus is. We were talking about that in Sunday school. What's Jesus' identity? Well, this passage is telling us he's, he's a child promised going all the way back. Well, not just to Isaiah, uh, but even beyond that, all the way back to the very beginning. Back to Genesis chapter 3. In the midst of, of sin and, and the, the degradation of the fall, in the midst of cursing, there was promise. What was the promise? The promise was that there would be one who would be born of the seed of the woman. 
And he would, he would enter into this age-long conflict that was established between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And this one seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And as that promise is expanded in the Old Testament, isn't it interesting, you know, um, when we read about the, the, the patriarchs later on in Genesis, and we're, we're reading about... Uh, the birth of the children of promise, Isaac and Jacob. The mothers are barren and and unable to have children. And then when you get to the promised seed, the promised offspring of Abraham, the mother is not merely barren, she is a virgin. Is the message clear enough? This is the work of God sending forth a son, his son, but also son son of a woman, born of Mary in order to save his people from their sins. So the eternal son of God who entered into the world at the earliest point of our human existence, conception, came and lived as one of us, dwelling among us, as the ancients used to say, for us and for our salvation. Incidentally, I, I think this is worth saying. Um, I wonder if you thought about this. What's the significance of the Son of God beginning human life at the point of conception? Does that teach us anything about the sanctity of human life? I, I think it does. That the eternal Son of God was pleased to begin as his human existence as a tiny embryo in the womb of the Virgin Mary. My friends, it's not going too far to say that if Mary had got a backstreet abortion, she would have aborted the Son of God. I think that's a lesson we can take away from this, but let me keep going here with the main train of thought. Some of you have heard of uh, uh, Rico Tice, maybe. Uh, Rico Tice is, uh, is an evangelist. Um, he put together some of the Christianity Explored curriculum, which actually we hope to utilize in the upcoming year. He also wrote a book called Honest Evangelism, and it's one of the best books I've, I've ever read on the topic of evangelism, so I commend that to you. Uh, but Rico Tice tells a story about being uh, invited to an uh, exclusive, expensive uh, club in London, and uh, he's standing outside of this club uh, waiting to be uh, ushered in, taken to uh, his table, and he finds himself standing beside another man that he, he faintly recognizes, but he doesn't make much of it. So instead of striking up conversation, he, he did what probably most of us would do and stood there awkwardly in silence, kind of like those 20-second rides in the elevator. Um, but after a few minutes, a, a, a waiter comes out and he hears the words, uh, Ah, William, uh, come on in and let me show you uh, where you're, where you're going to be seated, and 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 it hit Rico that the entire time he had been standing beside the the future king of Britain, and uh, he hadn't realized it. Uh, I wonder, I wonder, dear friends, if you realize who Jesus is. Uh, he he is more than Mary's boy. Uh, he is the Lord of glory. Bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, come down from heaven to save us. And that takes us to the last thing I want us to see today, the mission of Jesus. 
Why? Why did the Son of God appear? Why did Christ come from heaven to earth? Take a look at verse 21. Joseph is told that Mary would bear a son. And the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Joshua, Yeshua, which means God saves. God saves. Here is the reason Christ came into the world as one of us. The angel is saying to to Joseph, God is coming down to be carried in the womb of Mary. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, will be raised by your wife. He will He will cling to her breast and be raised in your home. God is coming down as a man in this child to save his people from their sins. And so Jesus, son of Mary, son of God, what's Matthew teaching us? He has come on a rescue mission. That's why the son of God appeared. He came to rescue his people from their sins. My friends, do not reduce the significance of that statement. Do not think that the angel is merely speaking about the guilt of sin, as gloriously true as that is, that Jesus saves us from the guilt and the consequences of our guilt. I think we ought to understand in these few words that Jesus Christ is God's comprehensive deliverer from the problem of our sin. And just think, to to appreciate the significance of that, just think with me for a moment about some of the things the Bible says about what sin entails and what sin involves. Sin Sin is first and foremost rebellion. Sin is rebellion against God. R.C. Sproul, who just went to be with, with Christ. Do you remember what, how he talked about sin? What did he call it? Sin is cosmic treason. And Christ came to save and deliver rebellious sinners. Sin is idolatry. At its, at its core, every sin involves worshiping created things rather than the creator. And Jesus Christ in love came into this world to save idolaters who would prefer to worship created things instead of the creator. Sin is, sin is illegal. That is, it is a breaking of God's law. Sin is lawlessness. And Jesus came to save lawbreakers. Sin incurs guilt. And that guilt, if left undealt with, results in condemnation. Christ himself was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Under the condemnation of the law. Those who were declared guilty by the law. And who would be condemned by God without a deliverer. Sin enslaves. You know, sin... I hope you understand this. We, we sin because we are sinners. Uh, We are free in a certain sense. We are absolutely free to do what we love. But the problem is that you and I love sin more than we love the God who made us. And Jesus Christ came to deliver 
people in love with their sin and to turn them away from sin and turn them back to God. Sin elicits God's wrath. His, you, you understand that because of who God is, his, his righteous reflex against sin is wrath. And that is absolutely the right response to sin. And Jesus Christ came to, to deliver us, what does Paul say, from the wrath to come. The reason, the reason we are not experiencing the very wrath of God is because God is patient. And because in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has made a way for sinners to be rescued from wrath. And then finally, the Bible also says that sin brings a curse. And here I'm not just referring to to, to humans, but we're, we're told in Scripture that all of creation was brought under the curse. All of creation groans, longing for redemption. And the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ came to bring deliverance far as the curse is found. And so you see, in the name Jesus, in one word you have the gospel. God saves. He saves comprehensively, absolutely, from all that sin involves and all that sin entails. That's who Jesus is. It's the reason the Son of God appeared, to, to rescue us from our horrible and utterly helpless predicament. And so the good news of the gospel is that the same God to whom each and every one of us are accountable has come on a rescue mission for, for guilty, rebellious, enslaved, lost, dysfunctional sinners. And he's come to reconcile them to God and to make them new. He came to save his people and to set them free. And so Jesus, we're, we're, we're told here, Jesus is God with us. And he's come in order to rescue his people from their sins. I just want to, I want to conclude quickly here by taking a look at Joseph's response to this incredible news. And I want to, I want to give, I think we see here, or I think we can apply here, um, a lesson and a challenge. I want to give you a lesson and a challenge. I think the lesson that we can take away from Joseph is simply this. Friends, it's, it's better to be a fool for Jesus than to be Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Better to be a fool for Jesus than Mr. Worldly Wise Man. The virginal conception is an absolutely astounding claim. You know, 30, 40 years ago, everybody was scoffing at it. Interestingly, because of recent research, people are not really scoffing at it as much anymore. But people think it's absolutely unbelievable. Joseph's wife-to-be is pregnant, but an angel of the Lord appeared and, and told Joseph to take Mary as his wife because the child within her was from the Holy Spirit. Now, what do you think? What do you think Joseph's family and Joseph's neighbors were, were saying to Joseph? Look, guys, Mary, Mary's pregnant, but an angel of the Lord appeared to me and said, the child within her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay. Joseph, you believe that? So your girl tells you that the child within her womb is supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit? You're a fool, Joseph. An absolute fool. 
But notice this, it's breathtaking. The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says these things. And what are we told? He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. What a, what a breathtaking response that is from, from Joseph. He took Mary as his wife because he believed the word of the Lord despite what others thought. And my friends, here we are living in the 21st century. You believe in a virgin conception? You, you believe that Jesus is God? Come on. I mean, only a first century bumpkin would believe tales like that. Well, I say again, better to be a fool for Jesus than to be Mr. Worldly Wise Man. We can learn that from Joseph, but here's the challenge. That's the lesson. Here's the challenge. Again, some of you maybe find it difficult to believe in the virginal conception. Not just the virginal conception, but we go, let's keep going here. Jesus is both God and man, two natures in one person without any kind of confusion. I mean, really, come on, how's that possible, people say? Maybe, maybe you've gone to school, off to college, or even in high school. Maybe you've heard some things, or maybe you've read books, or something that's caused, caused you to ask questions about the Christian faith, about the Christian worldview. Well, on the one hand, I just want to simply say this, my friends, ask all the questions you have, because God isn't, God isn't afraid of your questions. The Bible is not afraid of your questions, but at some point, at some point, you have to yield the world, the world wants you to think that in order to believe something, it has to conform to your standards of what is reasonable or unreasonable, what is true or untrue, what is possible or impossible. But dear friends, the Christian faith confronts that idolatry of human reason. And it declares to us, as God belongs in his proper place, God has sent forth the Savior of the world, and his name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He lived a perfect life, sinless life. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And on the third day, he was raised. That is the message of the Christian faith. Incidentally, have you ever noticed that the, the, the life and ministry of Jesus is bookended by two miracles. You have on the front end the virginal conception and you have on the back end the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's almost as if God is saying to you, if you bulk here at the virgin conception of Christ, don't bother going any further because you're not going to understand anything that follows from this because this story is pervasively supernatural and it calls for belief and trust in God who has revealed these truths to us. So now let me come, here's my actual challenge to you. Which, which explanation of reality are you going to accept? Uh, which which uh, meta-narrative are you going to live by and believe? The meta-narratives of this world? Well, guess what? 20, 30 years from now, that meta-narrative is going to be completely different. Just think back, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, how, how much things have changed. Or are you going to believe and live by the, the meta-narrative of Scripture revealed by God himself? It says that there is a sovereign God who, who made the heavens 
and the earth. And, and what is a virgin conception to the one who spoke and brought forth the universe? It's nothing. It's nothing for him. So God, here, I want you to understand, God doesn't ask you or require you to exhaustively understand the ins and outs of how the virgin conception happened or how Jesus Christ can be simultaneously God and man at the same time. And by the way, even if God were to reveal to you all of the information about how that's true, do you really think that you could wrap your finite mind around that mystery? No. But again, he tells you this is true. That the Son of God came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And he calls you to believe it. Because he has revealed it. And that is enough. That is enough, dear friends. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ came according to your plan. By the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us. Uh, we praise you that he is not just Mary's boy, but he is the eternal Son of God enfleshed. And we thank you that he came on a rescue mission to deliver helpless, undeserving sinners like ourselves. And we pray this morning for ourselves and, and others here today that you would that you would take hold of our hearts by the Spirit with the truth of the gospel and bring us to a place where we see how much we all really need uh, the Savior of your providing. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.